pastor here at Cottonwood, and I'm continuing the series that we've been going through, kind of a key verse from each New Testament book. We'll probably pause it before we hit the holidays and come back to it at some point, maybe later uh, in the new year. Um, But I want to pause before I start preaching and just offer a prayer. Um, Probably many of you know that there was a really bad accident that happened this week. Um, the Northwood volleyball team was traveling. Their school bus collided with the truck. The bus rolled like every ambulance in the area, every helicopter in the tri-state area was involved in that. Lots of really difficult injuries. And um, I just want to pray for, I have a friend who's a pastor up in Northwood. His name's Paul Redding at Northwood Bible. And uh, five of those uh, gals that were involved in that accident go to his church, of course, in a small town like Northwood and Hatton. They're known by everyone in the community. So if you just pray with me before we start, um, <clears throat> I'd like to pray for that community, that those individuals and their families. Lord, thanks for always being present. Lord, we know that you were uh, present during this accident. God, you are walking alongside and present and available as uh, each of these people that were involved, each of these girls and their families are going to have to go through, many of them probably quite a recovery process. God, I pray that you would be close to them, make your nearness known to them. Would you bring your comfort that only you can bring and your healing that only you can bring physically, um, emotionally, Lord, um, that you would walk closely with at each of these families, this whole community. I'm sure many in this school have good friends that were involved, super scary Lord, really, parents probably everywhere are thinking about their kids as they go on school bus trips because of this. God, might you be close and near to us all, but especially um, the Northwood Hatton community, the high school there, and these girls and their families in particular. God, would you bring your healing to them in a supernatural way? In your name we pray. Amen. We're looking at Romans 8, 38, and 39. It's the verse that closes this chapter, Romans 8. If you've never read Romans 8, read it today. Read it tomorrow. Read it the next day. It's a really, really powerful chapter in the scriptures. I'll overview it very, very briefly um, in this message. But we're really focusing on the last two verses, which says this. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I was a little boy, about eight years old, I think I was eight, uh, we watched a movie. It was uh, on the Disney Channel. You've probably never heard of it. I think you might be able to find it on Disney Plus somewhere deep in the archives because it wasn't in the theaters or anything like that. It wasn't a spectacular movie um, in and of itself. But the story was about a young girl, probably teenage, I would guess, a young teen, in the, in the Depression and her dad. Um, the mom was not a part of the story. I can't remember that part of the story. But it was just a dad and her, his teen girl. And they were struggling to figure out how to survive. And uh, the dad ended up having to find work on the other side of the country. So they lived on the East Coast, and he had to go work on a railroad where there was work. And so he arranged to leave his daughter for a little while until he could figure out how to bring her back with him to stay with a neighbor, a friend of theirs. 
and, um, and he, went to, he went to work out west. Well, the whole story is this. She doesn't get, things go bad with the lady she's staying with. Um, it wasn't as good of a situation as the dad thought it was. And she starts to think something must have happened to her dad because it's taking too long. He should have called for her. So she decides to take matter into her own hands, and she's going to travel across the country, like hoboing on the railroads, to try to go find her dad with her pet dog. Of course, there's a dog. It's a Disney movie. <coughs> and, uh, and, or a dog that she finds or something like that. Unless I'm confusing the movies, sometimes I do that. Maybe there wasn't a dog. I think there was a dog. The whole story is she reunites with her dad in the end. And he was injured. And uh, that's why he hadn't sent for her. And, uh, and uh, it's a happy ending. Okay, so just so you know, it's a Disney movie, guys. It's, it has to be a happy ending. <laughs> they don't do any other kind of endings. That movie, which uh, got me thinking... And I went to bed that night thinking, I don't want to be separated from my parents. And it was a little bit more than that. I thought about what was going to happen when my parents died and when I died. Would I be where they are? Or would I not be? Would I be separated from God? Or would I be with God? I didn't know. And so I talked to my mom about it um, that night. uh, And uh, she shared how I could know, how I could be certain if I put my trust in Christ, if I put my faith in Christ, that he would forgive and wash away what would keep me from God forever if I put my trust in him and what he has done for me, Jesus, on the cross, which I knew about because we went to church. I heard all about it. I went to the, just like all these kids that left, I'd heard this story many, many times I'd understood what the story was all about, but what happened in that conversation is it came alive to me in a way that it hadn't, and I made a decision that changed my life, and I know now that I won't ever be separated from God's love, but a couple years later, as a teenager, as an early college student, I I wasn't as certain about that. Because life starts to happen. You start to understand that things that are really hard and painful happen, and you start to wonder, is God's love real? And you start to make choices, or at least I did, that I knew God didn't like, and maybe that would affect his love for me. This verse that we're focusing on clarifies that, even though we still tend to struggle with that at times in our lives. I'm going to read it multiple times this morning. I'll read it again now. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything in all of creation, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. The question we're asking this morning is, do you really believe that? That you can't be separated from God's love. Here's my sermon in one sentence. It's actually two this morning. God's love is enduring, supernatural, tender, and powerful. And once you have it, nothing can separate you from it. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, number one, God's love is enduring. Another way to say that is that it's eternal. 
It's eternally enduring. It perseveres all the time. Uh, if you have ever believed that God loves you and that you are that you put your faith in Christ, that you know that he loves you, that your sins have been forgiven, there will be a time when you'll wonder if that's true or not. And sometimes it'll come because you read the Bible. I, this happened for me. Probably it's happened, it's happened for many. I've talked to many. When I, 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 for 10 years, I was involved in college ministry here at Cottonwood. And I remember talking to more than one college student about this passage in Matthew chapter 7, which is near the end of Jesus' longest sermon recorded in the Bible. And it's actually a pretty scary verse. Jesus says this. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, speaking of the day when Jesus comes back and he's going to judge the living and the dead, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Drive out demons in your name? Do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. And when you hear a verse like that, you think, I've never prophesied in Jesus' name. I've definitely never cast out a demon in Jesus' name. And I don't think I've done any miracles in Jesus' name. Now, maybe graduating high school felt like a miracle. It probably wasn't one. Or college or anything like that. But this verse is a little scary. It can be scary. It's good to look at the context of the verse. Earlier in the verse, he talks about false prophets being like sheep in, or wolves in sheep clothing. In other words, they look like a sheep on the outside, but on the inside, there's something different. And Jesus goes on again after he says this verse about Lord, Lord. He talks about how a good tree always produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. And you can tell which camp you're in by what fruit's being produced, whether you're going to be one that Jesus accepts because you know him. He says, I never knew you. That's the key part. I never knew you. In other words, these people are saying the name of Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus, and Jesus didn't know them in a saving way. They're just using his name. So I live out in the country, as I mentioned, usually at least once per sermon, just so you know that's the theme. Because I walk around and I look at this place and things about the life of God come to me because that's where I live. If I lived in town, you'd probably hear about my neighbors and their dogs and their plants and all that stuff. Well, we have choke cherries. Uh, right now, I went to a farmer's market and I bought some choke cherry jam because we didn't make any this year. Choke cherries are these, they're like little black, kind of really deep purple. Pick them before they get too deep purple. That's when they're the best. And you can make syrup or cherries or uh, jelly out of them. So you have some choke cherry jelly in my fridge right now. And uh, they don't taste very good off there. You need a lot of sugar and they need a lot of help to make them taste good. But they're edible. And we have a couple patches around um, in, of our property. And so we, we still have choke cherry juice that we add to things like kombucha and things like that. Well, there's something else that grows right next to my choke cherries like kind of almost some of them are interspersed, and it's called buckthorn. It's an it's a invasive species, actually. I, it's kind of like I wish I could exercise the demons of buckthorn from my property because they just never stop growing. Uh, they have berries as well, the same size as choke cherries. And if you don't know choke cherries and buckthorns, you might pick them both. You might pick them all. And buckthorn, if you make some jelly or, or juice out of buckthorn, you'll have a nice surprise after you have that piece of toast or syrup on your pancakes. Like, 
the surprise of abdominal cramps, vomiting, and running to the bathroom a lot. Because buckthorn berries are poisonous. Now, birds can eat them. They can eat choke cherries and buckthorns without too much of a problem, apparently, because they keep planting more buckthorns all over my property when they eat those berries. The fruit look very similar. If I, if I had a bucket of one and a bucket of the other, you might not, if you don't know them, think they're any different. Th- this is sort of similar to what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about good fruit and bad fruit, when he's talking about wolves in sheep clothing. Now, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't really be tricked. You would know, kind of, you've seen those cartoons about, like, the wolf or the coyote who puts a sheep thing over that. You're like, I know you're really a wolf. But Jesus is trying to say, there are things that are, they don't appear, they, they appear to be good, but they're not. They appear to be lined up with me, but they're not. So much so that you and I, they might even think, I've done all these things in your name and think they know Jesus, but they don't. That's really what Jesus is talking about here. That if you, are, if you know Jesus and he knows you, his love for you endures, and it's because you know each other in a saving relationship that that happens. But eventually, even things that look really good, I mean like miracles and casting out demons and prophecies, stuff like that sounds really good. I don't know if that's exactly like literally that's going to happen or those are like examples of the kinds of things that look really good. Maybe it'll be, I started hospitals for the needy. I drilled wells in Africa in your name. I clothed a lot of people that didn't have clothing. I fed a lot of people that needed food in your name, Jesus. But if you don't know Jesus, you can do good things. But it doesn't mean you'll be accepted into his kingdom. That's what Jesus is getting at in his message. That's why some of that, that verse is scary. But if you read it the context, it's not as scary. But you know what? I, I don't feel bad. Because Jesus' closest friends doubted and worried about what was going to happen in the future when it came to their relationship with him. In John 14, 6, Jesus is talking to them. And he says, don't be worried. <laughs> why did he say that? Don't be troubled. Because they were troubled. They knew something bad was going to happen. You know how that probably, if we would have been a part of Jesus' group, my guess, as Jesus knew that the cross was coming for him, my guess is that you and I, some of the more emotionally intelligent ones of us anyways, I might not have picked up on it, but some of you probably would have, that something in his body language, in his tone of voice, the look on his face would be a tell, would, would give it away that, that there's something coming that's not good. And these, some of these disciples were worried. They knew something was coming. And actually they knew partly they, they should have known it was coming because he did tell them outright. They, di- they didn't quite really believe it, but he did tell them outright a couple times. Like, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. Of course, we've talked about how some of them didn't think that was the right thing. But Thomas, Jesus, so Jesus says, don't be troubled. He says, I'm going ahead of you. To prepare a place for you. He uses the image of a house, which is nice because Jesus' craft for the first 30 years of his life or so was he was a carpenter. He built stuff with his hands. He says, my father has a house with many rooms. I'm going to make a place for you so that when you get there, it'll be ready. Thomas, doubting Thomas. you got to love Thomas. If you ever have doubts or questions, he has to become a favorite character for you in the Bible at some point of your life. Actually, I think... One of the things I appreciate about Thomas is that Thomas was brave enough to say out loud what his doubts were. I wonder if the other disciples had doubts and they just couldn't say it out loud. 
how it is for us sometimes. Thomas says, Jesus, we don't know where you're going, and we don't know the way. And Jesus says that famous line in John 14, 6, I am the way. He says, Thomas, you know the way. I am the way. If you know me, Thomas, you know the way. Thomas, if you know me, you know God. And you will be welcomed into my Father's house. Jesus made it even more clear in John 17, which is, I mentioned Jesus' longest sermon. That was the Sermon on the Mount. In John 17, we have Jesus' longest recorded prayer. Many people happen, think this happened near or maybe even perhaps in Gethsemane when he was crying out to God. In John 17, 3, Jesus says this, just to be really clear in a prayer. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. What is eternal life? It's knowing God and his son, Jesus. That's why Jesus said, many will call on me, but I will say, I never knew you. They never knew him in this way, and they, he never knew them in that way. Friends, God's love is enduring. It lasts forever. Once you put your faith, I'm sorry about that, put your faith and trust in Christ, his love endures. Here's the second uh, phrase. Let's read that sentence again. God's love is enduring. It's supernatural, tender, and powerful. Once you have it, nothing can separate you from it. Going on in verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither angels nor rulers nor powers. Now, I skipped around in that verse a little bit. There's a reason. I'll explain. Secondly, God's love is supernatural. Angels, rulers, and powers are more than likely at least partially referring to spiritual powers, spiritual beings with spiritual powers. The scriptures talk about it. Actually, Jesus just talked about demons, right? Demons are evil angels. I'm not going to get into all the study of angels and demons. That's, I'll have to do that another time. I don't have time this morning. But the Bible makes it very clear that they both exist. Spiritual beings, angels, are are spiritual beings of goodness. They love God. They want to serve God. Demons are spiritual beings that are fighting against God, at war against God, and all of God's creation and all of God's goodness. And they both exist. And they're both powerful. But neither of them can separate you from God. Of course, angels wouldn't want to separate you from God. But even if you succumb to a lie or a deception of a demon which I guarantee you probably have, because we do. Um, they're at work in our world. Not every lie we might believe comes from the voice of a demon, but some of them sure do. Deceptions, temptations. I just want to tell you that even if you succumb, their power over you is limited. This verse guarantees it. I'm going to go over a little bit more of Romans 8 in just a minute. But it, 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 it guarantees that you can overcome the power of even an evil spirit. 1 John 4, uh, 1 through 4, also talks about this. And I'm just going to read 1 John 4. It talks about evil spirits. How you have to test them. Sometimes, by the way, evil spirits don't... It's not horror movies, okay? Like, some of that is, like, the evil spirits want that stuff for you. But if they're a temptation, if they want to tempt you away from God, they're not going to look that unpalatable. 
They're actually going to look really nice and good at first. And then their voice is insidious. And they'll make you think just like, they, just like Satan made Eve think the fruit looked really good. And she took that thing and then she regretted it. That's how, the, that's how they work. That's how these voices work. But I want to give you a verse. This is a power verse, friends. You have to have this verse in your life. When you hear a lie speaking to you powerfully in your life and it keeps coming back, you need this verse. I've needed this verse many times. I've said this verse out loud to myself many, many times. 1 John 1.4 You are from God, little children. This is John, the apostle, the, G- the disciple Jesus loved. He's writing to some friends in a church. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them. Speaking about the evil spirits, the lying spirits, the deceiving spirits. He says this, because, and this is the part of the verse you need to know, the one who is in you is greater than or more powerful than the one who is in the world. Can you say that with me? The one who is in me, just say that, the one who is in me is greater than the one who is in the world. Now, it'll probably help if you really need that verse if you say it a little more forceful than you just did. I won't make you shout it this morning. I have done that out loud, really loud at times, in the face of a lie that's coming my way. Because God's love is supernatural, and once you have it, you don't lose it. And sometimes you're tempted to, the temptation is like, yeah, he doesn't really love you. You just, you just totally blew it. He doesn't love you. You just blew it with your wife. You just blew it with your kids. You just blew it with your boss. You just blew it with your coworker, your neighbor, whatever it is. No, the one who is in me is greater than the one who is in the world that's lying to me right now. God's love is enduring. It's supernatural. It's tender and powerful. Once you have it, nothing can separate you from it. Verse 38, we'll continue on. Most of our points come out of this verse this morning. The last one is verse 39. For I am persuaded that neither life nor things present nor things to come. I added life there. We talked about that earlier. But I wanted to say this. Neither your life, not your past life or your present life or your future life. Things present or things to come. Guys, God's love is tender. I, I, this isn't like super obvious in here, but um, I'll say why I chose that word in, in a minute. He is, here's why, he's tenderly attentive to your past, to your present, and to your future. He's tenderly attentive. He pays attention. It matters to him. All of your life, everything that's happened in your past, Everything that's going on right now and everything that might happen in your future, he is tenderly like a dad who's really interested. And I know I'm a dad, and I'll just be honest. I'm, so here's my confession. I am not as tenderly attentive as God is. You probably could have guessed that. You're driving into town the other day kind of quietly because I think way too much. I'm in my head too much. It's one of my faults. And I'm just thinking not about anything particular. At least I can't remember what it was. And then one of my sweet daughters says, Dad, about five minutes later, how was your day? And I was like, I should be asking you questions. (laughs) They're great. God's way more attentive, and he's more tenderly attentive. I just want to ask this question. What is it that causes you or has caused you to doubt God's love for you? 
What is it that has caused you to doubt God's love for you? I'm just going to share a few that might. Maybe it's late night visits to certain websites that makes you doubt God's love. Maybe it's the way you talk to your kids when no one else is around that make you doubt God's love. Maybe it's the vitriol that you have poured out on other people, maybe even the person you love the most, your spouse. Maybe it's something that happened to you when you were younger that made you doubt God's love. Maybe it's a persistent sense of I just don't measure up or I am a failure that makes you doubt God's love. Maybe it's that secret thing, that secret addiction maybe, that you hide behind a plastic smile that makes you doubt God's love. Maybe it's because you just never felt loved the way you wanted to feel loved or needed to feel loved growing up. Maybe it's you think you might have committed the unforgivable sin. Have you ever thought that? I remember wondering if I had. There is one mentioned in the Bible, by the way. There's an unforgivable sin in the Bible. And I'll just clear it up uh, whether you've, you've committed it or not. It's in Mark 3, 29 and Mark, Matthew eleven twelve thirty one. 31. It's called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And here's what it is. It's if you have believed and you continue to persist in believing that Jesus and what he did and what he's done for you and what he continues to do and what he did in the Bible comes from the power of a demon or Satan rather than God. In other words, you're calling Jesus the ultimate evil that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was accused of that by some, that he was doing these miracles by the powers of demons. Now, I just want to say this to you as well. You have to persist in that. that that's even forgivable, actually, if you repent of being wrong or being deceived. Uh, my guess is some of you have probably cursed the name of God or cursed Jesus' name. That is not the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin is to say, I believe God is the evil one and persist in that for all of your life. That's unforgivable because you've just per 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 persisted in rejecting God for the rest of your life. Not only that, but you've also called Jesus, the one who is most evil, the very person who is the one that is the most good. So my guess is that most of you haven't done that. And if you have thought that God is evil now, you, you may have thought that, that God is wrong or evil. Like even when some tragedy happens, like the school bus rolling, it's pretty natural for you to wonder where is God's goodness in the midst of horrendous tragedy, but that's not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit either. Go read the Psalms. Um, David was not guilty of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but you might think it if you don't understand that sin, right? Because he's, he's pretty raw and real about how he feels about life and God at times. Friends, usually it's, it's not that, but it's something. We all have skeletons in the closet. I know you have some. I have one or two or three. Things that I'm embarrassed about, that I wish weren't a part of my life or weren't a part of my past or weren't a part of my story. And I just want to tell you, they don't separate me from God's love and they don't separate you from God's love. They don't. He is tenderly attentive to all of it, past, present, and future. And he, here's more than that, he invites you to bring it all to him and says, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. In Isaiah, it talks about, let's reason together. Your sins are like scarlet. I can wash them as white as snow. We can talk about all of it. Okay, that's your past and your present. Let's talk about the things to come. What about, what causes uncertainty or insecurity for you? What gives you doubts? What gives you questions? What raises your anxiety? I just want to say that God tenderly welcomes you to bring that as well. Whatever it is about your future, 
that you're concerned about, you're insecure about, you doubt, you question, you're anxious about. He says, I can take that. I can handle that as well. I just want to imagine this a minute. Just imagine whatever it is in the future that gives you an anxi- anxiety or, or, or insecurity or doubts or questions that, hap- that you're not sure about in the future. What would happen to that, your experience of that, if you and I chose to let the certainty of God's love rule over it? It, it wouldn't make the questions disappear necessarily. We might still have some questions. We might still have some worries or anxieties, but it would change the flavor, wouldn't it? That the certainty of God's love is something that's solid and anchoring, even if I'm not sure about everything in the future. God's love is enduring, supernatural, it's tender, and it's powerful. Once you have it, nothing can separate you from it. For I am persuaded that neither Height, this is verse 39 now, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. If you read Romans 8, it actually is meant, I think, actually, if I could do it well, this whole chapter is really meant to be preached as one continuous sermon. Romans 8, 38 and 39 is the crescendo and the climax of a whole chapter, and I'm going to go through it in two minutes. Verse 1. There is now no no condemnation. If you've ever felt condemned, Paul is saying, you feeling condemned can't separate you from Christ. Actually, if you have a Bible, you want to turn to chapter 8 or your app, I'm going to fly through this and just talk on the themes here. Romans 8, 5 through 10, if you've ever been in a place where you're wrestling with sin, you know there's something out there that kind of you're wrestling with. Verse 10 says, if Christ is in you, the body that wants to give into the sin is dead, but the Spirit gives life. If you feel not accepted or not welcomed, verse 14 says, you are one of God's kids, and He welcomes you, and He accepts you. You're in His forever family. If you feel distant from God, Romans 8 verse 18 says, you, actually, verse 15 says, you are invited to call God your daddy, Abba. Father. Now that probably feels awkward for some of you, but God says, I'm willing to be that close. You might not even call your dad your daddy anymore. But God says, I want to be your daddy. If you have endured suffering, Romans 8.18 says the pain and suffering that you're having right now, one day is going to fade in comparison to what the goodness that God's going to pour into your life. When you're weak, Verse 26 says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When you don't know what to pray, ever been there? Verse 27 says, the Spirit will intercede with groanings, things that you can't even express. Verse 28 says, when you don't see that God is, you don't know what he's doing or what he's up to, it's a reminder that God is always working towards something good for his kids. Verse 31, if you're discouraged, says, if God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one. When you feel forgotten, verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also give us everything we need? When we feel accused, verse 33, no one can bring an accusation against one of God's kids. Verse 34, when you feel condemned again and maybe ashamed, just know this. When you feel condemned or ashamed, if you are in Christ, Jesus Christ is your lawyer arguing on your behalf. 
in heaven. Verse 35, when you're distressed, when you're afflicted, says that not any distress, persecution, famine, sword, wars, nakedness, or danger, none of it can separate you from the love of God. Verse 37, when you feel defeated, I love this verse, by the way. I had a friend share this with me in college when I really needed it. In all things, we are more than conquerors. I don't even know what that means. I do not know what that means. (laughs) But I know it means that I can't be defeated if I can more than conquer through Christ. For I am persuaded, then Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Cori Tenboon was a survivor of the concentration camp in Nazi Germany. She was a Christian. Her parents were Christians, and they hid Jews, and they got caught, and they sent to, got sent to a concentration camp. She lived. She's the only one that lived of her family. Her, her, her sister died. Her dad died. Her mom, I think, died. I can't remember her whole story, but she's the one that survived. And, and she came out of it a different person. She actually came out of it preaching the forgiveness of Christ. And she traveled around the world preaching about forgiveness. And then one day she was preaching in Germany because she knew that the people of Germany needed to hear this message after the war and after the horror that happened in their country. And she was preaching in the capital in Munich. When uh, she and her sister entered the concentration camp, she has a very clear, distinct memory. You can read about this in her book. She has a couple of them. The hide, My Hiding Place is the one uh, that the story's in, I believe. Um, she remembers walking past a guard where they all had to throw their clothes off. You, if you've seen Schindler's List, you know that, that part, of, part of it wasn't just, to, wasn't just to put these people and maybe get rid of them. It was to utterly humiliate and shame them. So they had to walk, no clothes, go through the shower, get their heads shaved. And she remembers this guard watching this and looking and seeing him and never forgetting his face. She's preaching in Munich, Germany. And after this message, she's like, you know, visiting and greeting with people. And she sees this guard coming down the aisle. And now she's going to have to see if she can forgive. Has she really done it? And he says... He, he's oblivious. How many people did he see in that concentration camp? Could he know everyone? No, nah, no, there's no way. And he says, you know, hello, Mrs. Tenboom in German, of course, they're speaking in German. Um, she speaks that. And she says, I am, uh, maybe they aren't in German, Germany yet, whatever. Hello, Mrs. Tenboom, I was a guard at the camp that you were at. I can't remember the name right now, or I can't pronounce it. I don't want to try to butcher it. So I can't remember, uh, I was a guard at the camp, and I have found Jesus since then and experienced the forgiveness of Christ, and I was wondering if I could shake your hand and you would forgive me. He wasn't as emotional as this, by the way. And she reached for her pocketbook because she didn't know if she could do it. But friends... God's love is powerful. And it took her a minute. And she reached out and shook the man's hand and said, you're forgiven. Because I'm forgiven. You're forgiven. What she was preaching about, you know, sometimes you can preach about it, but when you're face to face with something like that, 
That's different, isn't it? God's love is powerful, friends. Nothing can separate us from God's love once you have it. One of my favorite kids' books, and we have taught through it here at our church a number of times, is the Jesus Storybook Bible. And the reason why I like that Bible book for kids is because it it weaves the thread in the story of the gospel throughout all of the Old Testament stories in a way that's pretty unique. This is what it says at the very beginning in talking about Genesis. This is the theme of the whole book, talking about Genesis and when, and when Adam and Eve, the first sons and daughters of God, chose to reject God in a moment. The book says this, You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never-stopping Never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And though they would forget him and run from him, deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him. And his lost children would yearn for their home. Now, when I was a little boy watching that movie about being separated, a child separating her father, it made me want to make sure that I would never be separated from my parents and the God who loved us. And today, you might know, you might know today that you are separated from God. And you know what? Jesus is just making you an offer. He's offering you his love. He's offering you his forgiveness. He's offering his acceptance to you. It's sort of like he's down on one knee, and he's saying, will you have me as your Savior? And only you get to decide. He's, he's a gentleman. He does not force himself on anybody. Will you accept me? If you say yes today, nothing can separate you from God's love ever. His love is enduring. It's supernatural. It's tender and it's powerful. And friends, if you have said yes already, many of you have, nothing can separate you from God's love. His love is enduring. It's supernatural. It's tender and it's powerful. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things to present nor things to come, nor powers nor de- height nor depth, nor anything, any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, there's going to be prayer. Tom will be down here for prayer. If you, if you need to Say yes to Jesus and his offer to you. Please come down and pray with Tom. If you have said yes to Jesus, but you've been struggling, somehow you've been thinking that you're far separated from God and you want some prayer, please come down. Pray with, pray with Tom down here. Let's all stand and uh, we're going to sing a song about God's love that never fails us. I'm going to pray and then we'll sing a song together. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you that your love never stops. You never give up. You, n- nothing can separate me. Nothing can separate us from your love. Once we have it, nothing can come in between us. Thank you for that. Thank you for this precious chapter in the book of Romans, this verse that we spent time looking at. I'm persuaded, God, that nothing can separate us from your love, not the love that's found in Christ Jesus pray for any of those here who, who are separated from you. They, they know they've never said yes. They've never said yes to your offer personally. To say yes to you, Jesus. I accept your offer of love. I accept your offer of forgiveness. I accept you. 
Pray that you would move and stir in them to make that decision today. And for the rest of us, would you affirm and reaffirm that nothing can separate us from your love. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.